purposefully not include any meta because you know I'm bringing it all. Yeah. Welcome back to Merlin, guys, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin, where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom, and the characters. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Omotastig. Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, this week, guys, we have another episode review for you, and it is for the episode titled To Kill the King, Season 1, Episode 12, and we're very excited to talk about that. But as usual, before we get into the meat of the episode, we have some admin situation for you. So yeah, let's have some news. Winter Nights is in full swing. There are new works posted to the community nearly every day. The Camelot Drabble community on LifeJournal has also begun posting their exchange entries. Meanwhile, Merlin Holidays is getting set for posting, so these works should be popping up on AO3 any day now. The 10 years of M&A celebration by Merthyr Daily on Tumblr ends tomorrow on December the 24th, but you can go and look at other people's submissions or make up your own belated entries. And that has been it for news. You didn't say back to rocks. <laughs> I don't always say back to rocks. And you've disappointed me, Momo. It's fine. Let's just move on. <laughs> and now back to rocks. <laughs> um, okay, so we have some uh, talkbacks for you today, which you might not expect because you might say, hang on a minute, haven't they stopped doing talkbacks in episode reviews? And you'd be correct, unless this is the first episode you're listening to, in which case this won't surprise you. <laughs> but basically, we have so many comments now, guys, that we honestly would not be able to get through them in a timely fashion if we just were doing talkbacks on, like, episodes and not episode reviews. So we need to start doing them. And we're only going to do the short ones. So hopefully the episodes won't be overly long for you. So the first one we have is from Amphigori. And uh, they left us a comment through Discord on the Excalibur episode review. And I think Momo has something to say about what Amphigori said to us. So go ahead, Momo. Yes, this is uh, actually only a part of Amphigori's uh, comment with the whole um, Excalibur thing. Uh, and they said, listening to Excalibur episode right now, good stuff. Man, so many plot holes. What's up with the crit on the perfect balance of the sword? The perfect balance of a longsword, like Excalibur, puts the center of gravity, point of balance, about an inch above the crossguard. Ripping the following off of Reddit, this is so you effectively have a pivot point on the sword just above your hand. It allows for even, fluid movements in both attack and defense. If the weight is too far forward, you will be quite slow in bringing the point back up in defense, or be uncontrolled in a counterattack. Too much weight in the hilt, and your forte, upper half of the blade, become weak and you will find it hard to push your opponent's blade around. Rather, you will be the one being pushed, also with a sword-like saber that requires a flicking motion with the hand. Said motion becomes slower and has less force behind it. However, it does make your reactions and defense faster. All I'm trying to say is that a perfectly balanced sword still has all its weight in the hilt, so it will still sink hilt first, then the blade. Uh, so yeah, what I want to say to this is that... 
and I was going to mention this in the actual Excalibur episode review, but it didn't really get around to it, or it got uh, left on the cutting room's floor. I I don't remember exactly, but it's Uther says that it's almost perfectly balanced, almost perfectly balanced, and that sort of made me think of how it might have been perfectly balanced if Arthur had held it. Like, the sword was sort of made for Arthur, and then he and Uther have different bodies, different strength, etc. So it would have been perfect for Arthur. And, like, even perfectly balanced is, like, not that, you know, the sword and the hilt are of equal equal weight. It just means, I think that's what Uther is referencing, that, you know, if if the sword were perfectly balanced, it would be that the part that needs to be slightly heavier than the other part it's just like that. Like I think that's what yeah. Uther actually meant, and that just yeah, yeah. just to Uther, it was not entirely perfectly balanced, as in the weights exactly where they should be, because he's not Arthur. And if it had been Arthur, then it would have been perfectly balanced, or it probably is perfectly balanced. And just with like not that if you put it on your hand at the hill, that you know it doesn't weigh more than the other that one side doesn't weigh more than the other side just that yeah. that the weight is distributed exactly where it should be to be perfect for Arthur to fight with yeah I don't think I understood like what like because when I hear the word balanced I just assumed that it meant yeah like an even distribution of weight and I guess I didn't get what it meant in terms of like weaponry do you know what i mean like i didn't realize that it meant that actually it's not like evenly balanced if that makes sense like it's not meant to be sitting right in the middle so yeah i think it was just that i had absolutely no knowledge of what that actually meant like in terms of a sword uh but that does make sense and yeah like balance just means where the weight is distributed distributed and not that it is distributed evenly so yeah that makes that makes perfect sense yeah. yeah And thank you for that, because I didn't know. And it bugged me every time I saw that shot with the hilt just going. Dung, dung. <laughs> um, lovely. Yeah. So the the second comment we want to react to is also by Amphigori, but from a different episode review. This is uh, for the moment of truth. And in this episode... I don't really exactly remember when I mentioned this or what it was in reference to, but it's about Merlin's leather bracelet. And uh, I mentioned that I read somewhere on Tumblr uh, how someone pointed out that after the episode of uh, in season two with Freya, that's the last time we see Merlin wear the bracelet and then he doesn't have it anymore. So the headcanon is that he gave it to Freya and Amphigori pointed out that it was them who made this post about Freya. So all the credit for this headcanon goes to Amphigori. Thank you for for reminding me. Yeah, I'm sure that that will come up with lots of interesting meta when we get around to reviewing <laughs> that episode. So yeah, we're we're excited to talk about that. And yeah, thank you for linking us back to that because we hate it when we're like I saw this Tumblr post and I'm probably gonna have the same problem like throughout the majority of the life of this podcast so <laughs> if if you ever hear us mention something and you either know who who posted it or it was you just yeah just let us know because it really helps us out and then if anyone yeah. wants to read the original post then they can have the link too so yeah exactly. thank you Uh, so the uh, third talkback we have is from Saturn, who is also someone that likes to comment on our episodes a lot, which we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. 
And this was also from Discord, and it was about our character analysis of Gwen and Leon. And uh, I'm just going to read out some little uh, bits that they had to say. So I'm listening to episode 25, and you guys are so cute gushing over Gwen. Oh, and uh, we were just like, we did. I, I didn't expect to get like that, but then you just mention him, and you just go, oh, <laughs> like you can't help it. Um, just, I love him. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just too easy, really. Um. And she goes on to say, now I really, really want to read a fic with Gwen trying hard to keep Merlin's secret and failing and pretends to be dating him to cover up the truth. I think I was talking about how he would end up fake dating him because he'd be like, Merlin's magical and bad. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I can't. So and I just put in my notes that if I ever get back into writing, I'll do it. But in the meantime, this is your call to action, Millennials. Yes, <laughs> so please, someone write me this. I need to read it. <laughs> um. Also, at the beginning of the episode, you said someone write that fic about Merlin going back in the past to kill off Mordred, and I did write that fic years ago. So we all need to read that fic clearly yeah. because it's what you all <laughs> want. <laughs> I hope it's in in English so we can actually read it and not in French. <laughs> um, and the last comment we have is hair. We um, agree. We agree. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. agree. Absolutely. Hair. So <laughs> thank you hair. for your amazing feedback. I'm, I'm honestly upset that we managed to get through however long the episode about Gwen and Leon ended up being without spending at least half an hour discussing their respective hair. Like well, how they don't how... have hair changes to be fair, like Lancelot does. No, but does. but but they have nice hair, and <laughs> I like men with nice hair. I'm I'm disappointed in myself for not making a bigger point of talking about their hair. <laughs> so thank you uh, for mentioning it, Saturn. <laughs> yes, thank you very very much. Um, okay, so the final talkback that we have for today it was left on discord for the bradley james episode and momo will have to mention the username again because i can't <laughs> pronounce it. it it was left by marky aka über dem nebelmeer there we go <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was i think this was when we were talking about the uh she stuff and how yeah. merlin apparently like does he ever use that again and like how we were saying people like seem to just not use these magical artifacts and Marky pointed us uh, to the fact that he actually uses it uh, twice more, once in the episode we're about to review and again in The Changeling. And I am have been exposed as a fake fan because I forgot about that. So. Well, we did, I'm pretty sure that we did mention that it was used in To Kill the King. It's just that we question whether it was ever used again after season one. Okay. And honestly, I did remember that it was used again after season one, just not in time for the recording of this episode. It, like, it came to me later on, and then obviously the episode was already recorded. I was like, ah, oh, well, <laughs> we'll just we'll just cross that bridge when we get to it, exactly. which we now have. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's uh, that's been it for talkbacks for for this week, guys. Thank you so much again for sending in all your feedback and. Here comes the list of places you can find us in, as usual. So you can uh, type in Merlisten into Google or go to our website. It should be the first thing that comes up. It's merlisten.paracaproductions.com. And you can leave us a comment there. We always are reading those. Or if you're more active on Tumblr, you can just reblog the posts where we post all our episodes and leave us a comment either in the main body or in the tags. We check all of those as well. 
Or you can tweet us at Melissa and leave us some short feedback there. That's also appreciated. Or on Discord, where we will need to give you the invite link. But if you prefer like a more chatty environment, that's a forum where you can just talk to other Merlin fans about listening to the episodes. It's really, really fun. Or you can email us, and I now know the email, <laughs> so I can tell you, uh, which is melissa.podcast at gmail.com. Look at that. It's yeah. just, it's, guys, there is hope. <laughs> okay. You can also, um, you can also rate us on iTunes or leave us comments there. Uh, yeah, you have no excuse. You can comment wherever you like, and we've been getting so many guys. So thank you so much for that, as usual. And, uh, yeah, I think we can move into the episode proper. How exciting. Amazing. Amazing. So, like we mentioned before, we are reviewing To Kill the King, Season 1, Episode 12, and we're going to read you the summary that is from the Merlin Wiki, as usual. So, when Gwen's father, Tom, unwittingly helps a renegade sorcerer turn lead into gold, he's arrested and faces trial for treason. Despite pleas from both Arthur and Morgana, Uther is adamant Tom will be tried and, if found guilty, will be executed. Morgana tries to help Tom escape, but tragedy ensues, and Morgana becomes hellbent on revenge. Merlin uncovers a plot to kill Uther, but will he try to stop it or sit by and let it happen? With the with the cliffhanger at the end, as usual. <laughs> <laughs> I really need to look into editing the dun-dun-dun sound yes. effects. <laughs> Because it's just it's just very fitting. Absolutely. All so right. I'm gonna let Momo uh, get into her statistics because she loves it. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this episode first aired on the sixth of December two thousand and eight. It stars two female characters who have lines, and they are Morgana and Gwen, and six male characters who are Arthur Merlin guys Uther, who are like in literally every episode until Uther dies, I think. And then it's still Merlin Arthur. <laughs> and then two supporting cast members, male supporting cast members, Tom and Torin. The dragon shows up, which is sometimes fun, but not always. <laughs> and the enemy or monster of the week are Torin and kind of both Morgana and Uther, like, in each other's eyes. Like, it all depends on your personal point of view of who's the evil person in this episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uther has one person executed, that is Tom. And Morgana kills one person by the name of Torin. So, there we go. Yeah, you're a lot of murder happening in this episode. Indeed, there is. Um... So just to go into a, a, a very quick overview before we get into a scene by scene, um, I actually don't mind this episode. I have to say that it's it's weird because uh, it might just be because I kind of have watched it uh, twice in the space of a very short amount of time because I'm doing a uh, well, it's a rewatch for me, but one of my friends is watching Merlin for the first time. So I watched it uh, about a month ago and then I had to rewatch it again for Melissa. And I have to say I did kind of struggle through it the second time in a very short space. I don't find it the most rewatchable episode and I don't know what it is about it because there's nothing wrong with it. It's actually some really interesting themes, which we're going to talk about when we get into the meta and stuff, but it's, I don't know. It, there's nothing about it that keeps me engaged and I don't know why. Maybe there's not enough Arthur in it. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's not one of the episodes I would consider rewatching if I were to just like, you know, do a, I mean, it's sort of, it's important to the plot overall. Like, Morgana's yeah. 
like Morgana's character development and progression. So if you were to do a condensed Merlin rewatch with just episodes that are like super important to the plot, then this would certainly be on the list. But it's still not an episode I would look forward to watching. No. It's just not it's it's first I mean, it is memorable. It's just not you know, high on the list of episodes I'd rewatch for some reason. Yeah, and I I don't it's know what it is bad, either. It's not even a bad episode or anything. It's just I don't know, it's just not that just not that rewatchable. <laughs> At least yeah. to me. I'm yeah, sure I don't... People, yeah. I'm sure there are people who love this episode and just keep rewatching it all the time, probably. It's just I, not, I, I'm not I've one never of them. heard of them, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're out there. And please let us... Cause no, like if, because if you love this episode, we'd love to hear from you. But I have a feeling it might just be that neither me or you are massive Morgana or Gwen stands. So that's probably why we're not Maybe. as engaged. Maybe. Like. You know, if you're a massive Morgana stan, then yeah, you're probably going to enjoy it. I mean, but I'm an Uther stan, but I just feel like there's not, uh, there is a lot of Uther in this, but, um, yeah, I, I still, I still find it hard. There's, I like certain parts of his scenes and then there are other scenes where I just find it, a, um, a little bit frustrating, uh, from what the show is trying to give the antagonist angle. But like I said, for him as a character, this episode is great, but there's, I quite like Uther when he's entertaining me as well. Like when he's doing his Utherisms, like where he's like, speak your mind, Gaius, or sorcery, or, you know, you're clearly enchanted. Like, and then when he's just kind of doing, like, when he's got too much angst, I'm like, okay, can we have some funny Uther now, please? <laughs> So I'm happy to see a lot of him in this episode. Yeah. I think I just sometimes when there's too much Morgana for me, I kind of switch off because I, I love Katie, but I just don't, I don't find her the most charismatic actress. Like she's a very charismatic person, but as an actress, I find her a little bit one note, and I think that she actually works a little bit better as a slightly more background character or a supportive character because she just I don't find that I don't think she finds it easy to hold an episode um I think Angel is the more superior actress between the two of them so oh, yeah, she sure. I, yeah so, so she can support an episode I think relatively easily um but I think that Katie does struggle and I think maybe that's why season four and five are less interesting to me because she is given a big, like she's put, like a lot is put on her shoulders to really carry those two seasons. And I don't think she does a majorly good job, yeah. but yeah, we love her though. She's really lovely. Yes, of course we do. We, we love Katie. We also, we love Morgana. It's just, you know, yeah. doesn't always, not everyone's a Colin or an angel or a Bradley. <laughs> or literally anyone else from the cast. No, I mean, let's wait. Hang on a second. Katie is better than that extra who keeps appearing, going. The king requests your services <laughs> as a matter of urgency. <laughs> yeah, so that's just kind of our overall ep uh, thoughts on the episode, and uh, we'll obviously get into more detail as we go in. So let's just go for it into the scene by scene. Yes. And our friends' title, uh, kind of episode titles, are uh, 
as always, very, very comedic, or not, as the case is with these episodes. Because imaginary. <laughs> these aren't actually that uh, that comedic, but we tried. Um, so the first one is the one where Gwen gets a new dress. Uh, Momo, go ahead. You can go first. Go thank, for it. Thank you. It's just, uh, I don't even have anything of substance to say about this scene. It's just, um, now that I've been to Pierrefonds, that's basically what I keep looking at, uh, in, in episodes, it was the same thing with Labyrinth of Gadriff, as we discussed. But just, yeah, I'm just trying to figure out the layout of of this whole thing. Like, Tom, in, in the very first shot, he sits on the back of this card, and they go past the castle, and I know where that is shot. And then, a second later, he's in the lower town, jumping off the card and talking to Gwen, and I'm just like... How much, like, we're supposed to believe that this happens fairly quickly after the end. Like, there, I think there is a cut, like, uh, just a, just a short cut where it's like they change location, but it's still implied that this happens very quickly. And it's just, there's no way Tom could have gotten all that way down to the lower town that quickly, neither in real life nor on the show <laughs> because of how far <laughs> away. The lower town is supposed to be from right outside the castle. It's just it doesn't make any sense to me. And it's just I never would have <laughs> noticed this before, but now I've been to Pierrefonds. I just I keep seeing all these little weird things. It's just like this doesn't actually work that way. <laughs> You Going can't... to Pierrefonds will ruin Merlin for you, basically, is what we're Pre- saying. Pretty much. <laughs> don't don't go to Pierrefonds. It will you will never watch the show with the same eyes again. <laughs> don't meet your heroes, even if your heroes are a, a castle. castle. Yes. <laughs> it won't end well. Yes. So please, Rog, say something of actual substance about this scene. Oh, I wish I had anything of real substance. But my first reaction when I saw this first scene was, "Oh, hi, Tom. Haven't seen you in half a season." <laughs> where have you gone <laughs> also the last time like Tom is very much red shirt extra from Star Trek like he only ever shows up he shows up twice in in the show I think if yeah. I remember correctly and the first time he nearly dies <laughs> and Gwen is accused of sorcery and the second time he's a- Tom is accused of sorcery and then dies <laughs> I'm just what? <laughs> oh oh god. god! Like how? I mean, I get that you know, um, he's a he's a very minor character. He's a very background character, and like there's no, uh, there's no point in having him in epi- every episode. But like, how hard would it have been to just even have him in the background in one or two episodes, just doing something, or someone at least mentioning him? No one even mentions him outside of these two episodes. <laughs> I'm just. What is happening here? Well, apparently mentioning things in the background isn't something that we do in Merlin, like, you know, Uther having a daughter. <laughs> and I'll get to that, don't oh, you worry. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, please. I, I'm pretty sure we have the same note Yeah. the same scene. Yeah, although I, yeah, okay, actually, though, I'm not going to, because I'm going to get to it. <laughs> um, my other note about this scene is that I love that Detective Gwen is back. Like, she's so smart. Like, you know, she knows that they can't afford this and, like, you know 
oh, we're on the up now, Gwen. And she's like, you know, what, what's going on? And even when he's like, trust me, and he gives her a kiss and he walks off and she gives him that kind of like look as he walks off of, oh, I don't like this. And it literally strikes me as the complete opposite of Arthur because there's like, I recently rewatched The Last Dragon Lord with my friend and there's a scene in that where Balinor comes back, like after he's told him to get fucked and he comes back to say that he'll do what, um, uh, what they want because he owes a debt to Gaius who risked his life for him and Arthur's like you'll be rewarded don't worry and he just goes I seek no reward and like there's clearly subtext to that answer and Arthur just goes great let's eat <laughs> and that's like the opposite to what happens here like he just <laughs> I'm just like you know it's um, you won't often find me making arguments in favor of Arwen on the show um but at least she's the brains here. <laughs> she is definitely the brains of the operation while Arthur is the bonds. Like, all, like, all political mishaps and, like, everything that is wrong with marrying a servant and following your heart, all the things that uh, Rox hates <laughs> as tropes <laughs> when it's applied to princes and, and royal members of, the, uh, members of the royal family. But, like... At least Arthur was smart enough to realize that by marrying Gwen, his IQ will at least triple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the next scene we have is the one where Tom didn't read the terms and conditions, oh, which yes. we can't blame him because we don't do that either. <laughs> but still... Um, <laughs> So where he's in the forge and he's making all, uh, you know, um, there's the alchemy happening and we see Torin for the first time. And I'm just like a bit, the okay, the shots of Merlin being affected by the magic uh, and sitting up are clearly from the dragon's call. Uh, so I'm just kind of like, stop doing that, please. It's like when they used scenes of Valiant to fill out the fight between Uther and Arthur and sins of the father of Merlin running from the front door, like completely not in the right direction to the great hall <laughs> and or, or to the council chambers. And in this one, we have like a random pickup shot from the dragon's call. And I'm like, <laughs> stop. <laughs> um, but my only question about this scene was who tipped Arthur off and how did he even know or why did he even think to go to Tom's forge? Like, why was he loitering the streets of Camelot with armed guards in the middle of the night? I don't understand. I mean, there, uh, yes, true. I mean, you could probably argue that they had already heard that Torrin had come come to Camelot. Maybe, like, maybe someone had seen him and then Arthur was already on the lookout for him and this is like basically um uh what's it what's it called when you a sting operation or what it's called when yeah. you just uh, c- uh catch someone red-handed oh so, um yeah 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 i know what you mean you, you know, know what you what i mean yeah good yeah. uh so something a raid raid so, that's the yes. one <laughs> uh so maybe maybe that's what's going on here that is possible, yeah. I guess it's just, like it just kind of. And when you watch the episode, you don't even think twice about it. But yeah, when you kind of go back, like after you've been in the fandom for like you know nine years, you just go, "Hang on, why was he just out in the middle of the night? And why is he just walking into someone else's house uninvited?" <laughs> it's just like, don't do that. But yeah, I guess you're right. Like especially since, um, you know, if uh he's a band, he's part of a band of renegade sorcerers, he's probably yeah 
someone probably tipped someone off that he was there. But I'm curious as to who, like where, like where they would have got the information. That would have been quite a cool subplot as to like, you know, who's the bad guy. Yeah. That really would have been a cool subplot. Yeah. But what, what other plot would they have had to sacrifice to make that one work? The one with the rat stew. (laughs) (laughs) Oops, wrong episode. Oh, God. No, actually, this episode is actually pretty tight. Like, it really yeah. is. There's really no fluff in this episode. Like, it really is just what yeah. you need, um, which, which is weird. And yet it's still, it still feels a really decent length. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's, uh, it's very strange. Just, there's really no filler in this episode at all, which is very, very unusual yeah. for I mean, the episode. only filler scene I can think of is one that's, uh, later the, the Mirtha moment of the week. Um, that's the yeah. only, like, proper, filler scene i can think of yeah um my only thing about this scene uh in the in the forge is not even the part in the forge it's it's merlin from the dragon skull waking up in the middle of the night and it's like he he clearly he senses the the stone being used and it's just one of the very rare occasions in which merlin actively senses magic happening yeah. And I and I wonder like he there are other episodes and scenes where he's like um I can I can sense magic like there is um season 4 uh, Herald of the New Age where he can sense that the the, the druid shrine is uh is a magical play or like Im- imbued with magic and then there is uh in season 5 the episode with the desire where he can sense the magic in the uh, in the place surrounding where the desire are residing or appearing or whatever, like there are moments when Merlin can sense magic, where he's, where we as the audience know he can sense magic, or where he mentions something to that, uh, to that effect. But it's not very often, and I just, I wonder what the, what the world building was supposed to be. Uh, I mean. It's not a serious question because writers obviously didn't think about it at all. But um, (laughs) I know I shouldn't ask these deep philosophical questions. No, I just love what you've actually put in the in the notes. It just cracks me up. Can you just say it so I can listen to it? (laughs) In a second, it's just yeah. Why is Merlin able to sense magic, and why isn't Merlin able to sense magic more often? Because sometimes he can, but only when it's hashtag convenient for the plot. And that's, <laughs> and that's literally it. Like, he can sense magic when it is convenient for the plot. He can sense this stone because then he's like, ooh, something weird was going. Like, my spidey senses are tingling, basically. The crossover you never wanted. <laughs> no, it's just, yeah. But like with him sensing the magic thing, because I, I think this is the first time we see him sense magic, which is the first time I'm bringing it up because we uh, obviously he's he can hear Mordred, but that's not really the same thing. And so my question is, um, if Merlin can sense magic, we assume that Morgana can also sense magic. What if there is something to be said? And I think this is a relatively popular fanon theory that Arthur has some kind of magical essence about him because he was born of magic and maybe that's a why Merlin feels such a pull to him and b maybe how Morgana felt Uther's death because Arthur was in pain okay yes um 
Um, okay, because there has to be yeah, something yeah. about the destiny. Because they are, you know, Merlin and Arthur are destined to be in each other's lives. But why? And it makes me think maybe because of the magic link between them. Like, there's no reason. Like, they're just two people who happen to come into each other's lives. But there has to be something predestined about it, uh, because that's what destiny is. It's like a predestined thing. So maybe there is, and and obviously it is completely fanon and it is a headcanon. But maybe that could be the reason because he was born of magic and Merlin has magic. Maybe, although I wouldn't necessarily say that that's the reason. Okay. Um, I I wouldn't go there. I mean, yes, Arthur was born of magic and Merlin has magic and Merlin senses magic. And that's maybe why, like, I would say that maybe that is why he feels connected to Arthur so quickly. And why Arthur sort of feels connected to Merlin so very quickly. As for Morgana sensing Arthur's pain because Arthur is magic and it sort of translates to her I'm not sh- I'm not sure I'd go that far also there is no there I don't think there is actually evidence of Morgana being able to sense magic maybe it's just Merlin who can sense magic because he happens to be the most powerful sorcerer in <laughs> all of the time um I don't I don't true. think there is actually any at least I can't remember off the top of my head whether Morgana actually sensed magic when it wasn't directly you know mm-hmm like happening to her like obviously when it's used on her she you know feels the magic or whatever and and as she's doing it herself she might feel it but like actually sense magic or yeah i'm not i'm not sure she can sense magic we'll have to wait till we get to the the third and fourth seasons to to see if that happens yeah i mean otherwise she would have been woken up by the stone as well I mean, she might have been, yeah. but but we have no, like, she never mentions anything about this. We don't see her sit up in bed because the stone is used and she sensed its magic or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, that's so true. there's, I don't think there is an argument, like, you can plausibly argue that Morgana isn't actually able to sense magic. Not to the degree that Merlin is, at least. Um so, uh, yeah, the next one we have is the one with a lot of treason. <laughs> treason is mentioned so much in this scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you can go first this time, Mimo. Go ahead, because I went first last time. Okay. Um, my first one is, again, about uh, the actual castle. <laughs> Not the actual scene, but the castle. And just, I just, I, lo- I watched the scene and I was like, hey, wait, I remember that hall. <laughs> It's very big, it's very empty because they don't have any furniture at Pierrefort. Exactly. <laughs> but in this scene, and this in this scene and the other one that they have um uh in in this room, uh they make it look like a relatively small room. They make it look like a small like study or something that belongs to Uther, but it's actually quite a big hall. It's like a like a ballroom almost. <laughs> the hall is enormous. Um and I was just, uh, yeah, I, mean, I was just, I kept admiring the porcupine tapestry, like, uh, wallpaper in the background, because it's just, I love it. <laughs> the porcupines <laughs> everywhere. It's just so many porcupines. Um, was that all of your thoughts about uh, this? No, sorry, I actually, I have a second, uh, I have a second thought, um, which is also not quite as serious, but still more related to the actual scene. It's uh, Uther saying... He'll be given a fair trial, and he'll be found guilty because that's what he is. <laughs> oh, Uther! That's just that is a a very Uther-like quote. 
<laughs> the, it's going on the wall of fame for sure. He says that with all seriousness and conviction. And I'm just like, Uther, please. That's not actually how fair trials work. <laughs> Although I do feel like with that line, what he does literally mean is that because he... Because the evidence in front of him clearly points to Tom being guilty in Uther's eyes, he's like, well, yeah, he'll be given a fair trial, and under a fair trial, based on this evidence, he'll be found guilty, because that's what he is. And yeah. I, I don't think it means that he's made up... I mean, yeah... No, no I know, it's just... His mind. It, yeah. I mean, I, Uther has made up his mind. Let's yeah, be, he has. Let's yeah. be real. Uther, once, he, once he's formed an opinion... He he's like Darcy wants his good opinion lost. Is lost forever. forever. And that's Uther. Once he's made his opinion, he will stick to it. I mean, you can't fault the guy for being flaky. That's for sure. <laughs> yes, that is you know, true. not um, like not like certain other members of his family. <laughs> I mean, let's not go down the Morgana meta route because we'll be here for hours. Or the author meta, like both his children. Oh my god. Um. So, I mean, speaking of Uther meta, what I really like about this scene is the line uh, where he says, "Um, every man has a price," because I. I just love the contrast between Morgana's almost like youthful naivety and belief in Tom versus Uther's real life worldly experience and being like, you may think that you know someone, but you don't really. And anyone can betray you and anyone can do a bad thing. And in that sense, he is kind of right. And the thing is, I mean, we don't know how well Morgana even knows Tom. Like, I was you know, about to say that. Yeah, yeah. It's just she obviously she knows Gwen well. And by extension, she trusts like she believes that because Gwen is trustworthy in her eyes, her father must be as well. But you literally don't know that. Like, just because one person is trustworthy, it doesn't mean that someone else associated with them is also trustworthy. And Morgana has no reason to to know Tom. She do- I, I doubt very much that Morgana actually knows Tom beyond his name, maybe what he looks like, that he's a blacksmith and that he's Gwen's father. Like, that's literally all we know about Tom. <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> and I don't think that Morgana knows anything else about about Tom exactly and like there's a there's a there's a really nice moment in this scene because Uther's really composed here and it's Morgana that's losing it like he's you know Arthur produces the gold and then you know she says you know and you can kind of see that she's like oh shit that doesn't look good and then she kind of goes oh well you know he could have you know been paid for shoeing his horse and Uther goes in gold and then she just kind of goes this is madness like and she doesn't have a rebuttal for that. And you can actually, like, it's kind of the first time we've seen, I think, Uther kind of having the high ground in terms of, like, who's right in, like, a discussion. <laughs> because she is kind of just being the child in this moment and not being sensible. Yeah. And I wonder if she had taken a bit more of a level-headed route, if maybe she would have gotten through to Uther. Maybe he was kind of like just closed off to her opinion because she was just kind of like i wonder if you know he would have actually listened if she'd have been a because you know arthur knows not to say anything <laughs> he's just you know he's standing there and like um i mean i have something to, uh, to say about that when we get to the murder scene but um there's a 
what I think is interesting, this is the only continuity error that I can kind of find in the timeline of these episodes in this one, because I'm surprised that Uther doesn't suspect Morgana for breaking Tom out of jail, considering he's already caught her breaking Mordred out of jail. Yes. Oh, my God. I hadn't even I hadn't even considered that. But yeah, it must it must come. We'll also explain why um, he's so ready to believe her when she when she comes to apologize. uh, You know, like if this were supposed to go before uh, beginning of the end, then then it would make sense that he actually believes her that how when she says she's sorry and 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 like goes to him and all of that like because in yeah. in moment of truth he's very quick uh, sorry not moment of truth uh beginning of the end like uther he does accept her apology and tries to make make amends but and, and like uh you know forgive her and everything but he's very quick to believe that she had a hand in in freeing mordred once mordred is like escapes again and it's just you know that makes more sense when you have the history of morgana doing this before exactly like more than once <laughs> yeah but then i again, don't know, i don't yeah but then again he doesn't actually know that it was morgana who freed tom does he yeah this is the thing and it's like i don't know like if that's important or if it's not important but you know when you look at because these two episodes are kind of very similar in the sense of like you know Morgana does a thing and Uther does another thing and Morgana disapproves of the thing Uther did and then they fall out and then all is well by the end. Actually, I guess I don't know how I feel about the ending of beginning of the end in retrospect because Morgana, obviously, they're completely fine by the end of this episode. And at the end of beginning of the end, you definitely feel as if that's not the case. And I wonder if beginning of the end might have worked better in season two in that case. I mean, if, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would have had to change quite a lot because uh, Morgana, because of magic and all of yeah, that. Of um, but it definitely would have worked better to uh, move these two episodes around so that To Kill the King comes before beginning of the end. Yeah, because of because of all of that. So exactly. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that this is a quick fix at all. Like, I don't think it would necessarily work that you could flip one for the other. There would need to be a lot of restructuring because, for example, you have not only that, but you have the B-plot of Merlin's trust in Morgana and how that's affected by, you know, not only the thing with the Mordred destiny, but also him seeing what she's capable of with Uther. And a lot of things would need to be changed. But, yeah, it's it's honestly just the fact that they are very much at odds in beginning of the end to the point where you think well this surely won't won't slide and i guess it works in a way because then it it feeds morgana's anger for what happens in to kill the king but i think there's a little bit too much maybe in between and that might have worked better as a continuous arc so maybe if to kill the king had fed in right after beginning of the end and mordred had been mentioned in to kill the king that would have been a nice kind of continuity thing of like oh well he's Mm. capable of killing innocent children now he's capable of killing my best friend's father like that kind Mm -hmm. of thing you know that might have worked a bit better and then the she staff gets used you know very very soon after he first got it so that damn she staff is causing us a lot of problems (laughs) (laughs) all right um but yeah so 
Yeah, uh, the next one is The One in the Cell. And um, this is when Gwen goes to visit her father in the cell. And the line that really struck me about this was when he says, you're cautious, Gwen. And I thought it was a really interesting line because on the one hand, yes, Gwen is cautious. She's cautious of, you know, Morgana's interest in Mordred. She's cautious of her relationship with Arthur. She's definitely the more cautious one there. But then... In other ways, she's not. She's very quick to sneak into the dungeons to get the Mortius flower from Merlin. She's very quick to um, go and defend Eldor, uh, even though it could cause a lot of problems, you know, for for her and for her family. You know, she's uh, she's she's very quick to jump in into a lot of things. So I don't know if this is uh, something that just wasn't explored enough because they didn't give her much time, or if it's just a bit of a stupid line that doesn't really that like doesn't really fit with her character but she has been shown to be cautious so it's not like it's completely irrelevant but it's weird yeah um also she has this line where she's like we will get you out of here i promise and my biggest pet peeve in in films and tv is where someone promises something that they clearly can't control and i'm just like can we stop with this cliche? <laughs> like, Gwen, how do you have any impact on whether or not he gets out of this cell? <laughs> it just really irritates me because then it, I mean, I guess it's to make the death more heartbreaking, but let's be honest, we don't really care about Tom. So it's like, what's it gonna, we don't, we've seen him twice. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know. Do you have any notes about this scene or are you all good? I ha- I have one in between the cell and Morgana trespassing. Oh, what was it? Sorry. Uh, I have the one where Gaius Pedia strikes again. <laughs> because in this episode, the concept of alchemy is introduced into the Merlinverse and then never used again in the entire show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. Like, Gaius is like, oh, yeah, alchemy. Hmm. I'm just like, oh, yeah, cool. Tell me more. Like, I, I find that interesting. I'm just like, ooh. You know, it would be so cool if they if they use this again, and I'll I'll get to to that probably later on. But like, um, it's just alchemy is never mentioned again in Merlin, from what I remember. After this episode, I'm just like, why introduce it at all? Like, what's the point? <laughs> it's yeah, it's that's it's all just... I, that's all I have to say about this one. And then Merlin writers love it. Yeah, all right, um, the one with Morgana trespassing. Yeah, what I mean, it just struck me, and and I know you've got something to say about the wardrobe, uh, Momo, but I quite like the fact that this is the only episode in Merlin that I can actually think of where it feels cold, like it looks yeah. like it's cold outside, yeah. and I don't know why this is the only one, and it just makes me pine for that Christmas special we never got, and I'm just like this. This really, we should have had seasons in Camelot. And I know you don't like her wardrobe, but I like the little fur thing. And I like that we're seeing a more winter inspired wardrobe that we feel that it's actually colder uh, than it is the other times that we've seen her. But yeah, yeah. that's just, this is my two cents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my note about the wardrobe is just, um, I mean, pretty much all of Morgana's wardrobe is anachronistic and just not right. Um, but in this scene, she actually wears heels, like high heels, modern style pumps. She's wearing them and hand warmers. And I'm just, <laughs> nothing about this seems, and also the white fur. Where did she get this super fluffy white fur from? 
Like, what animal in medieval Britain has this kind of fur? Yeah, anyway. Apparently, every single market stall sells them. Ah, <laughs> uh, and just... And yeah. The only other note I have is again about the actual set of the of the castle, and I just I want to know if this is the barn that's right outside the castle where the gift shop used to be and is no longer, because that would be believable <laughs> that that's it. I mean, I I still really like the fact that when Morgana picks up the stone, it reacts to her. And honestly, for for everything that they did really badly, I think the one thing that the Merlin writers did really well was the uh the the gradual progression of Morgana's powers up until season three, like uh, between season one and two, I think they did it really well. Like, especially in season one, how we slowly see her. A, we, as the audience get told that she has powers and then we actually see her reacting to magical objects. I think it's really, really good. And then obviously that all leads into the nightmare begins where things just get really bad. Um, But yeah, I, I really like it. I think that it's done really well. That was that was my only other note for the scene. Um, the next one that we have is the one where Merlin and Morgana watch Gwen sleep. Uh, Momo, do you have anything for this? Um, I have actually because um, this comes back to Morgana's wardrobe. I'm just I'm amazed at how fast this woman is because she was just all the way down in the lower town where she discovered the the stone in uh, in the workshop. Then she's in her private rooms, putting the stone in a small box. And then in the next second, she's in Merlin's chambers. And she walked all of this distance in a supposed to be short time in heels, uphill, <laughs> on cobblestone. Oh, Give God. A, like that, if you needed any more proof that Morgana is magic, this is it. There you go. I wish I had those powers, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, so my note for this scene is that I really love the conversation that her and Merlin have because I feel like, um, you know, when Merlin says like, oh, but, you know, Tom's the most gentle person I've ever met and Morgana's like, yes, but, you know, he was seen with Torin and Torin is an enemy. And I feel like it's a big and welcome contrast to how she was talking to Uther earlier on. And I feel like now that she's had kind of time to calm down and she can see the reality of the situation, she's actually much more measured and she, she gets Uther. Like that's what I really like about her is that she actually gets Uther and she knows what he's like. So she kind of now can take that more practical approach where she's like, yeah, well, you know, Merlin's still like, but, but, but yeah, but this isn't fair because he's innocent. She's like, yes, but he was seen with so-and-so and, this this doesn't look good so i think it's really great and um yeah maybe if she'd have been a, a bit more like that earlier on things might have might have been different i don't know but uh yeah i really like that and you know um it's always nice you know to see them hanging out and talking because you know they're going to be enemies in a couple of seasons so it's always nice <laughs> it's nice um i have the one where morgana trespasses again but she's just got because she's just going into arthur's room like she, oh, yeah. she knocks and she's like Arthur, and then she receives no reply and she just walks right in, and steals his keys. And I'm just like, why does Arthur not lock his door? Why is the drawer with the keys not locked either? Just what? <laughs> <laughs> he must have just been peeing. <laughs> oh my god! In the other room, this and is, she just snuck in. This is so bad, so bad. <laughs> 
I mean, it's it's almost like they just threw a imaginary dart at the wheel of plots, Momo. You know, <laughs> know. it's like really, are we asking why at this point? <laughs> uh... I think that we should just, you know, um, pick our battles. <laughs> oh oh god. Um. <laughs> um. So the one where Morgana frees Tom, I'm just like again, how does no one suspect Morgana for this, especially since you know, after her conversation, like even discounting beginning of the end, she's just had a massive argument with Uther, like in his room. And then Tom mysteriously is freed with a key that they surely would have been able to trace back to Arthur's private key, which he definitely didn't use. So who else would have access to Arthur's chambers? And it's just like, Oh, how did she get away with this? And how does no one find out? Like, my my thing about this is like like what did Morgana think was going to happen because she gives Tom a key to escape so he either successfully escapes in which case he will never be able to return to Camelot he will probably never see his daughter again or if he does she'll have to sneak out of the city to see him for the rest of her days and he'll have to live somewhere outside of Camelot or if he doesn't escape successfully he'll be killed and she should know this and i'm just trying to think of the fact that gwen never finds out because i would love to hear her reaction to the fact that it's basically morgana's fault that tom is killed and i'm just a bit like huh. <laughs> like i don't know how gwen would feel about that yeah because it's... even she says, I don't understand why he tried to escape. And she thinks that it's her father. That's the worst thing. She thinks it's her father that tried to escape. Like, that he thought of the idea. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. I don't like it. No. <laughs> so there's a line in this scene where she says, I cannot see the future, only the present. And I'm like, ha, 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 ha. It's just like. Yeah, that's just top top humor from Merlin right there. This is what we were finding hilarious in 2008. <laughs> but hey, I mean, yeah, okay. It always gets a chuckle out of me. So let us, yeah, okay, fair enough. I am part of the problem. <laughs> um, so unless Momo has something in between, uh, the next scene I have on my list is the one with the Mirtha moment of the week. Nope, I have nothing else. You have nothing else? Okay. Well, I have some Arthur meta coming up for you. <laughs> Are you ready for this? Yeah. Um, I just, okay, before we go into the meta, it's just like, it's obvious that this is the Merthyr moment of the week because it's literally the only scene with Merlin and Arthur, like, talking to each other. Like, there's one other where they're also together in the scene, but this is the only time that they are actually talking to each other in this episode. I think. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, so. yeah, it's, yeah, it's bizarre. <laughs> um, So... But I, I feel like this scene is actually pretty valid for this reason. So there's a line that Arthur says, which is, it is not for you to question my father's actions. And the meta that I have on this, or the thoughts that I have on this is, I feel as though Arthur is actually quite a complacent character in the beginning of the show. Uh, leading into season two, he kind of starts to change that. And I think Morgana challenges Uther quite a lot, but we really see Arthur just kind of going with the status quo he really doesn't directly challenge his father about magic or about the 
the running of the kingdom until season two. Like, yeah, sure, he like goes to save Merlin's life and he goes to help Merlin's mother, but those are personal errands that have nothing to do with politics necessarily. Uh, although they could impact the kingdom for sure, but they're not necessarily about magic. And I think that, uh, what's really interesting to me and like, you know, this isn't necessarily me trying to view it through a Merthyr lens, but I, I think this is true because when, you know, Arthur's grown up with Morgana and she clearly hasn't influenced him enough to make him stand up to Uther. When we first meet Arthur in season one, they've already been living together for many, many years. But when Merlin comes into Arthur's life and you, you know, he's probably the first person that's ever stood up to Arthur (laughs) who's challenged the status quo between them in terms of like a class difference. And I wonder if maybe that experience that Arthur has been having with Merlin, like now throughout the whole of season one he going into season two he has sort of this idea that well hang on like you know if Merlin can challenge me like this maybe I can you know find myself in my own and challenge my father like maybe it's not impossible and I'm not saying that it's as simple as that but I think maybe through Merlin's influence because he is a very much challenging character like he'll just tell you how he feels I think that Arthur was kind of slowly inspired to then do the things he does like in Beauty and the Beast part two where he directly goes up against his father in public and demands that all the taxes be given back to the peasants and I think it's really great and I think Arthur's line here where he says it is not up to you to challenge my father I think he's actually it's more of a reflection of himself I think he's thinking like I can't challenge my father, but he's taking it out on Merlin because you can see when Merlin walks off, Arthur is not really happy about what's happening, but he's not actually saying anything. Yeah. And Morgana I... keeps having to prompt him like, Arthur, have you nothing to say? He's keeping quiet. And it's not until later that this starts to come out. I would argue that because of that, like, first of all, I agree. And I would argue that because of that, it's another point in favor of putting this episode earlier in the season. Yeah, because at this point, like the the way the season was aired, at this point, Arthur has already defied his father's um, orders several times in Poison Chalice, in um, beginning of the end, <laughs> again, <laughs> and and a couple of other times, and then just like, yeah, this this should have come earlier because Arthur like. Yeah, I just think that that would have made more sense. Or maybe it's, I mean, you could probably argue that now Arthur is just like, um, sort of regretting, like not exactly regretting, but like questioning whether he shouldn't have been more loyal to his father for some reason. But we don't really have, like, there is no actual reason for Arthur to believe that, you know, it's, oh no, hang on, even worse, Labyrinth of Gedref which we just reviewed, where Arthur is even more disagreeing with his father about, like, food rationings and and shutting people out and all of that. Like, Arthur has disagreed with his father so many times, and he has been maybe not exactly comfortable with, with disagreeing with him, but definitely has done it anyway because he felt that it was the right thing to do. So what is, like, if you want him to question whether he shouldn't be more loyal to his father and his father's orders and decisions now, you need to actually have a reason. Like, you need actually have something uh, backfire badly in Arthur's face for him to be like, hmm, maybe my father has a point and I should not question him that much. But you don't have that. 
like quite on the contrary last episode Arthur went against what his father said and came out triumphant yeah exactly the only thing I could think of was maybe because they're in public and it's Merlin talking to Arthur he feels the need to kind of you know shut him up essentially and you know to show that he's in solidarity with his father but yeah I think for such a small moment I think it says a lot about him as a character and kind of where he then goes from there and you know I think it's really lovely to watch that progression it really really is um so yeah that was uh that was my two cents and I mean I'm never gonna be upset to see them in the same scene so (laughs) there you go um although I mean I will say actually to be honest with you, you could have cut both Merlin and Arthur out of this episode and it would have, like, just with a minor restructuring, it would have been the same. Like, it really isn't about yeah, them. That's, that's, um, like, I, like I said, this apart from this little bit of characterization for Arthur, which you didn't actually need in this episode, you could have just cut this scene. Like, this is the, the only, like, superfluous scene that I can really think of where I was like, it didn't really need that one. I mean, but, I yeah, of course. Um... I meant more just in general, like to even Merlin and I'm going to get into the whole Merlin's moral dilemma. So I won't go into it now, but I think even if you cut Merlin from this episode almost entirely, um, it would have still worked because you could have given his scenes to Gwen, for example, like you could have made a case for having Gwen discover that Morgana is sort of, um, you know, planning this, uh, this uh, treasonous act against Uther and not necessarily um, her having second thoughts about letting her do it, but maybe you could have then used that as a reason why when Morgana comes back in season three, Gwen is instantly um, suspicious. That would have been awesome. Oh yeah, but, I agree. You know, we had to give it to Merlin, but I mean, that's fine. He is, he is the protagonist. And to be fair, we really don't see any Arthur. So it's not like there's, you know, um, there's like a huge amount of the boys in this. It's just, uh, I mean, there is definitely a scene that could go, uh, and, and I'm going to get to that in, a, uh, later on, but yeah. Oh, well, I guess, you know, they just for some reason didn't want to have too much angel, which is a shame, but <laughs> there you go. Um, Right, so the next one that I have on my list is the one where Tom escapes. Yes, I yep. I have thoughts on that because yes, it's, it's, it's a it's a thought I have every time I watch the scene. I th- I think one of the reasons I don't like rewatching this episode is literally this scene. It's for the love of God, don't leave the key stuck in the lock of the open cell door. Why Ugh. are people so bad? at escaping from Camelot even though it's actually very easy to escape from Camelot just don't leave the cell door wide open don't leave the key in the lock just obviously everybody sees that this door is open when they walk past clearly Gwen inherited her intelligence from her mother <laughs> because she must this have oh, my oh God. dear um, yeah well I had a similar gripe but not one as simple as that i should have caught on to that what i caught on to was when he knocks out the guard why didn't he just drag his body into the shadows and put on that guard's armor then he would have blended in and managed to walk straight out the front gates because tom is not that clever apparently (laughs) 
And, you know, you have a scene between Arthur and Uther where he's like, well, he's just proved his guilt. I'm like, exactly, Morgana. You've just proved his guilt. <laughs> what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> oh, if she really wanted to help, she should have helped him escape, you know? Mm-hmm. Instead, she just fed him to the wolves, like gave him a key and was like, good luck. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, it's just, oh, my God. <laughs> Um, so the next one I have on my list is the one with the intense light beam, which is right after Tom gets killed. Um, go ahead, Momo. I'm sure you must have something to say about this scene. (laughs) Well, it's a pretty intense scene. You must have some thoughts. (laughs) Yes, but not actually about the scene. But okay, I'll just, I'll go anyway. Um, because it's back in the hall with the porcupine wallpaper, (laughs) the one that I mentioned before that they made look relatively small even though the hall is very big and um i as i kept watching the scene i was like oh it's so nice to see it you know illuminated like this with the intense light beam from the from the sun shining in because this is not how you get to see it nowadays in pfm because they keep the curtains drawn to preserve the wallpaper and the colors in the room and so it's yeah it's actually very, very dark in there and not not as nice and sunny as it is in this scene. So it's nice to see it in the sunshine for a change. And my other thoughts, which are more connected to the actual scene and that's of the of the set, is Morgana's cleavage is practically falling out of her dress. And also she's still in high heels. And then at the very end, when when he's like you shouldn't talk to me like that. Oh, I will, you know, put you in chains or whatever he says. And she's just like, you just try. And I'm just like, Morgana, you just had to challenge him, didn't you? You know this man is has a temper <laughs> and is um, choleric. Why did you just have to basically throw down the gauntlets? Oh, my God. They're very dramatic. <laughs> Also, I yeah. just remembered a note I had on uh, a scene that we that we skip, which is the scene um, in which Gwen discovers that her father died, and it's more a note on on Angel's acting, which I felt in this scene wasn't all that great. It was shit. It, it was. It just. I mean, when Elian dies in season five. I feel like even I mean it's brainwashed Gwen, but she shows more emotion <laughs> about her brother's death than this Gwen show. Like it's not that she doesn't show emotion; it's just that it's very overdone. I I I don't feel like it's done done. I mean, obviously everybody grieves differently, and you know it it could be, but it's just <laughs> I just I don't know. I don't I don't like how how she's acting in that scene. I don't really believe the the anguish over seeing her father dead. It's just I don't know. No it doesn't and, work for me at all. And throughout the rest of this episode I don't really feel it to be honest with you. Like we'll get to the scene shortly, but you know, even when she's sitting in Merlin's room and she's like, I don't understand. Like it's just after he's been killed and she just doesn't look like she's shed a tear. <laughs> and I'm just yeah. I'm just a bit I mean, like... you could say she's probably she's supposed to be in shock, but I think like I'm pretty sure that the Gwen I know would cry like cry rivers for days. 
basically. I don't. I don't think she'd be like. Even like you remember she... when she cried in Mark of Nimue when her father was sick? Yeah. Like it's uh yeah. All right. Yeah, I was gonna mention it, but I was like, oh, I don't want to be mean. But I was like, no, it's awful. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Let's just it's, let's yeah. just say it. Uh, I, I don't know who directed her in that moment, but yeah. they did not do a good yeah. job because it's not her. It is it is yeah. the director like that probably made these choices, and it's just like don't do that, <laughs> please don't do that. Yeah. So, uh, basically, Morgana is angry, but I don't really understand why she's angry because what did she expect would happen when Tom was found as a fugitive that Uther would invite him up to his chambers for a nice light supper, like. Obviously, he was going to kill him on sight. So she storms in and she's like, you have blood on your hands, Uther Pendragon. And I'm like, what did you expect him to do? This is your fault. And I wonder yeah, if... That's, being... the, that's that's the thing that baffles me the most, Morgana. You're the one who told Tom to escape you. Like, don't tell me you didn't know that this was something that could happen. Exactly. And I'm like, I think maybe... Again, this is we have to fill in the gaps because the writers sure as hell didn't bother to do it. And it's like I feel like maybe a lot of her anger in this episode is maybe directed to herself. You know, that she's kind of responsible at the end of the day. Um, And that's why she kind of goes so hard after Uther at the end, you know, like wants to basically kill him is because she's just kind of like, well, shit, like at some point she probably realizes I actually kind of caused this in in part, even if not fully. Um, which is, you know, I think very, very fair to say. Um, so I also kind of like when he throws her into the, um, into the dungeons, I'm just kind of like laughing because it's done like there's this big, like, you just tried, dun dun dun. And then as she's being thrown in, I'm pretty sure there's some like weird comedic music playing or something that's not very dramatic. Like it's kind of like dun dun dun, like sort of like that. And I'm just kind of like, I feel like this kind of shit just happens on a daily basis in the Pendragon family. Do you not get the feeling when you watch that scene? He's like, and you can stay here until you've learned your lesson. And I'm honestly surprised she hasn't been locked up before now. Like, I'm, yeah, it's weird that she got locked up for talking back to him, but not locked up for um, helping Mordred escape. Yeah. It's a yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know what you'd consider worse, him putting a hand around her throat or him putting her in the dungeons, like, take your pick. Like, it's whatever. <laughs> like, uh, you, you, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I don't know, like, if we would have thought that was that was worse than this. I mean, you know, she's not really harmed by anyone. She's just obviously a bit chafed, you know. It's, it's you know, it is what it is. Uh. I mean, I guess we should maybe just talk about what do we think about him putting her in the dungeons? Like he didn't cuff Arthur when he went into the into the cell. No, he didn't. Uh, it's uh, sweet. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to think. But I guess you know she. I think the reason for all of this is that you know she she did commit oh not commit treason but you know yeah I guess to say that you know you make enemies of us all you know. They are quite treasonous words to be speaking. I guess he kind of has to, because t- you know she could start spreading this to everyone. You know, imagine if she decided, you know, on a on a whim to start a revolution. You know, <laughs> because or an accidental. Yeah. One. She had a temper tantrum and then she goes out into the lower town and starts preaching about how Uther's a tyrant. You know, he'll have a revolution on his hands before he knows it. You know, yeah. where he's Arthur's betrayal in Poison Chalice was literally just disobeying 
Uther and Daddy, rescuing, I love him. <laughs> rescuing a servant that he wasn't supposed to rescue. Um, yeah, probably not quite as treasonous as, um, yeah, sparking potentially sparking a revolution. <laughs> Arthur's the least of his worries at this point. Wait till Queen of Hearts, he'll start to become a much bigger worry for Uther. (laughs) But at this point, at this point, you know, actually it's kind of funny how it flips, isn't it? Because at the Morgana's the, the, the troubled teenager in the first few seasons and then you get to season three and Uther thinks she's this golden child and Arthur becomes this rebellious one. He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? I should have spent less time worrying about Morgana and more time worrying about you. I've been letting you run riot with this servant nonsense. First Merlin, then Gwen, then lots of, then Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah he should have really seen that coming to be honest <laughs> yes. actually if he'd have you know i obviously completely support uther's outlook that arthur is enchanted in that scene but if you looked at the evidence maybe it's not so far-fetched <laughs> this, arthur has a type and it's stationed it's, below him <laughs> several stations below him. oh my god oh. <laughs> um okay that was all I had to say for that scene. Okay. Uh, the next one I have is the one with the real estate agreement. Which I have is... one before that. Oh, is there one before that? Sorry, what... I have one. I have one before that, which is the one with Gaius PDR Part Two, because in this ep- uh, in this scene, uh, Gaius has found the stone that was used to turn lead into gold in his in one of his books, and it's. I mean now more than before it's obvious that it's supposed i mean this supposed to be the philosopher's stone and it's i'm a bit annoyed that it's never called that in the episode but it's literally the philosopher's stone because the philosopher's stone is a like not a magical but an alchemical object that can turn anything into anything and um like for example lead into gold but also transform other things into literally anything you want them transformed into and it's usually of a red reddish color and it's an alchemical powerful object so obviously we're dealing with the philosopher's stone here and it's never called the philosopher's stone in this episode and i'm annoyed by that it does annoy me but that's not the actual point the point is and i'm going to say this now because we have other things to talk about later when we get to the scene but why is there no more mention of a alchemy? I mean, I said this before. Why is there no more mention of alchemy ever again? And especially with this stone, like it never gets mentioned again. Morgana gives it back to Torin later on, and then it just it becomes irrelevant, completely irrelevant, despite the powers it has. Like Morgana, once she's evil, doesn't think back to, "Hey, wait a minute, there was this stone once. What happened to that thing?" Also, incidentally, what did happen to that thing at the end? Like, Torin, I would assume that Torin had it on his person when he went to, to kill Uther, because where else is he going to keep it other than close to himself, where he can be sure that he knows where it is at all times? Um, so he must have had it on himself. And I mean, Morgana couldn't steal it from him then, because obviously the, Uther was there, and she could just go through <laughs> go through Torin's things right in front of Uther. But as someone must have gone through through Torrance things at some point, and and then we know that magical objects 
end up in the Camelot vault. So is it just in the Camelot vaults? Why did no one ever mention it again? I'm just... Continuity. It could have just been that, like, other than Morgana, no one knew that it was on his person and she had other stuff to worry about at that point, so maybe it was just buried with him. No, I don't think it would have been. I'm pretty... I like... I mean, obviously, I don't have any evidence for this, but I don't see... Like, Torrid was a known sorcerer. I'm pretty sure that they would have searched him. Yeah. Before burying him just to make sure he didn't have any dangerous magical objects on him. Well, like, if if he does, then that they get locked away in the Camelot vaults where no one else could get to them. Yeah, true. True, true, true. It's just one of those things that they just were like, plot device, bye. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, God. Okay. Yes. Alright, the one with the real estate agreement. Yeah, it's a really cute scene. I like that we do, you know, kind of... They try to pretend like this episode is about Gwen, which I appreciate very much. <laughs> um, I love that Merlin is kind of, you know, there for... Like, I love that we have these little background kind of Merwin moments where you can see that he's really, like, looking out for her and stuff. And uh, then Arthur comes in and we have this moment where, you know, he tells her that that, that her house is hers, you know, hence the real estate agreement. Um, and then uh, he obviously, you know, says a really nice thing. And again, I don't know if uh, if this would have worked. Yeah, I can't decide if this would have worked better before their first official scene alone together or if it works better here. Because obviously uh, Gwen already kind of... I mean, they had their kind of spat in moment of truth, and then I guess she must have realized that he's not as bad as he seems because, you know, then he let the women fight and stuff. But I don't know if uh, this kind of moment where she realizes that he's, like, you know, doing something kind for her would have worked better earlier on or if it works better here because, you know, now... I don't know. I don't I know. Would, I would argue that it would have worked better before moment of truth. Even just because if Moment of Truth had happened after To Kill the King, then Gwen probably might have had an attitude of, like, I have nothing left to lose. I might as well challenge the crown prince. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would explain so much about Gwen's behavior towards Arthur, where she's just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to tell you how it is. Because... What else are they gonna take away from her at this point? Like, she's just like, I have no more fucks to give. I'll just tell it as it this is. This is true. And it also would explain why she actually feels a bit inclined to like Arthur. You know? Yeah, where she actually cares about, you know, his character development. <laughs> because he's done her a kindness before and she's just like, you know, I'm gonna do you a favor and call you out. No, I mean like where she has that bit at the end of their scene where she does the tongue tied thing. Oh, and like she's right. like, Oh, we all will oh, do yeah. like Okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah, that that'll make yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I would I would still argue that to kill the king should have come earlier yeah. in the season. <laughs> it's all just a thing. Also because also because I feel like especially beginning of the end is a stronger episode with regards to even just plot and like things that are happening than to kill the king but that's that's just me yeah um my my thing about this scene um is that 
Like, at, at first I was confused why Gwen is in Merlin's room, but I guess it's just, she just stayed there after she she came to them. Like, I think she came to them and was like, they killed my father or something. And then, um, she just, she just stayed there. Did she, did she come no, to Merlin? No, no, she comes father? to Merlin, uh, oh yeah, I was gonna <laughs> mention that, but I completely forgot. Uh, she comes to Merlin when, uh, her father is arrested. She goes to Merlin and to oh, Gaius, okay. which just confuses the hell out of me because it's like, does everyone in Camelot know that Merlin can get Arthur to do anything? And that if they yes. go to him, then they'll manage yes. to change you this mind? Yes. <laughs> but yeah. Okay, so Gwen, so, so Gwen didn't, like, we didn't see Gwen go to Merlin after her father no. died. So she, she's just, she, it's just, she just shows up in his bedroom. Like, I mean, it makes she, sense. She's, just, she's been sleeping she's there just, for a few days. Okay. That, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. She's been sleeping there for a few days. I forgot about that part. So then it also makes sense that Arthur knows to find her there. Because I was like, did Arthur just want to visit Merlin and then it ends up finding Gwen? Oh my god, that would be absolutely hilarious. Like, oh hey baby, oh, uh, um, I mean, he does, he does, like, he does knock before entering. So, and because Gwen and Merlin have been talking, so I would assume he might have heard them talk. So that's why he's like, gonna visit my boyfriend for a little afternoon shag and then he hears some talking it's like oh shit he's got someone in there so i now better knock and be solemn and uh what can i quick quick what can i say to gwen (laughs) Mm, oh yeah i can give her her house (laughs) i'm pretty sure that's not how property worked in like medieval england i'm not sure women were allowed like i'm pretty sure that the feudal system was a thing and that the property was immediately the property of the crown but okay we'll go i mean that's that's why that's that's why arthur i mean you know maybe it's implied that he can't officially make her the owner but that you know by the crown owning it he does ensure that she gets to keep living there yeah which then makes the once and future queen even more funny because when (laughs) she's like this is my home and he's like no it's mine (laughs) it's my house actually technically this is my my property (laughs) oh my god um i was gonna say let's move on to uh moving on from this we go to armor watch oh yeah it's like i think this is like I mean, their scenes were getting already quite thin by, like, Excalibur. Like, that was the the last really good scene they had. And they're not even alone in this scene. They have a guard with them. But um, it's still really nice. And oh, their dynamic is just so great because they're, they're the only characters, really, that I feel are just so honest with one another, at least early on. Like, once Morgana starts to realize she has magic, she obviously starts kind of hiding more and more from Arthur. But... They're just so genuine with each other, like they're their worst selves around one another. And it's just, you don't see that a lot. And I love it. She's just like, you know, son of the mighty Uther. She's so spiteful to him. And he just doesn't say anything. And I'm just very curious as to kind of the conversation Uther, uh, sorry, Arthur had with his father to Sirvery, because I'm just like, I mean, surely he was going to let her out, right? <laughs> like she was just going <laughs> to stay there forever. <laughs> I'm very confused by this, um, that he's like, I spoke to my father to let you out. Was he not going to let her out by morning? I mean, he said, I'll I'll let you out once you've learnt your lesson. But 
I don't know. That seemed, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I know you have, uh, I mean, we both loved the line about, um, you're a better man than your father. And yeah, it's just, oh, it's just that thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just unfortunate that she completely forgets about all of this. Like, she has held this belief, apparently, that Arthur is a better man than his father, because she also says, always have been. Like, she must have thought this for a long time already, which, you know, if this is indeed after um, Moment of Truth and also after Beginning of the End, she has proof. Like, this is the only thing that I can see in favor of putting it after those two, whereas, like, she has seen Arthur do good things. Like, she also... She also knew about him going after the Mortius flower for Merlin, probably, even though she wasn't really in the poison chalice much, but I would assume she does know yeah, about it. Yeah, she's uh, so, uh Gwen says if Arthur comes back with the antidote in time then Merlin will be yeah. okay. So yeah. Yeah. So, you know, she yeah, she's had an entire season full of proof that Arthur is a better man than Uther, at least uh, where her moral um compass is concerned. And then she completely forgets about this once she turns evil. Yeah. <laughs> which is um kind of annoying actually. Yeah, but yeah. I just love their I just love their dynamic. It's just like, you know, spite spite spite, banter 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 and then like a meaningful line. I mean, we've never seen yeah. that anywhere before ever on Merlin. No other couple yeah. has that dynamic. <laughs> it's uh, it's very original. Oh, no, I love it. I just uh oh, I'm just so sad that they're related it's just, just yeah sucks um then there is the um oh that is actually the the one with the convenient exposition i believe because i i called this the one with more gwen <laughs> yeah you just have all the ships in this episode again this is one of the few episodes where you have all the ships you have Martha, you have armor you have Mer- merwen and you have more gwen and arwen as well they have well if i mean Marlin's there, yeah. but I mean they, yeah, you know it's Arwenish, <laughs> Arwenish episode. So yeah, I, for me the the one with the convenient exposition is when like when Morgana and Gwen talk to each other, and like you call the the one with the convenient exposition because Gwen gives Morgana all the necessary information she needs to find Tor- all the information. And the with- <laughs> Morgana doesn't have to ask any questions <laughs> like where he's gonna be what yeah. time he's like, so, gonna show yeah. up <laughs> yeah so this is exact this is right after Morgana gets released from the dungeons and comes back to her rooms and then uh Gwen is very upset about seeing like the the abrasions of Morgana's wrist from being uh like chained all night and then Morgana admits that she that she was in the dungeons all night and then Gwen is very upset about this and she says something like, if anything happened to you, and I'm just like, yeah, Gwen doesn't need more people dying right now. Exactly. Like, I believe Gwen's emotions way more in this scene than in any other scene where she's supposed to be grieving. Like, this is the only scene where I'm like, yes, okay, I get it. Yeah, she's really good in she's this upset. scene. Yeah, she's she's upset. she's upset about Morgana getting injured, and she's also... Um, scared for herself in this mo in this scene. So I get this. I believe this. The only thing I don't like about this is Morgana finds out where the man who 
at the end of all of this is really responsible for getting Gwen's father killed, which is Torin. She's found out where he's going to be at what time. And instead of having him brought in, reprimanded for what he did and getting some kind of justice for Tom, she thinks of herself and her selfish motives. And what really makes me angry about this is that the reason why Morgana is at odds with Uther and wants to have him killed in the first place is because of Gwen, because Morgana cares for Gwen and Gwen's father was killed. And that's what sets Morgana off into a rage in the first place. So instead of actually doing the right thing and bringing Torin in and sending the guards like she was going to, like like what she told Gwen she was going to do, she goes to set up this plot to kill Uther, which will only bring about misery because that, I mean, I don't see how she, well, okay, she could have got away with it, I suppose, but it's like, if she didn't get away with it, Morgana would no doubt have been killed. And how would Gwen like that? <laughs> On top of everything else that happened, she would, she would find out that Morgana was uh, a traitor uh, to uh, Camelot and was killed as a traitor. I, I I just really uh, find issue with Morgana's motives in this episode <laughs> because yeah. it's just like, really, Morgana? <laughs> yeah, I I agree to that. Especially, like I said, Gwen literally just said, if anything happened to you, I don't know what I'd do with myself or something exactly. like that. It's just, Morgana, please, we know you're not actually stupid. Please think of consequences but no actually Morgana in this episode Morgana never thinks of any consequences Morgana Morgana is a very temper tantrum child like she's actually like I'd say that where his where acting out of temperamental reasons is concerned she's worse than Uther in this episode because um the uh quote unquote only thing Uther does out of temper is have Morgana put in chains in a dungeon. Yeah. While Morgana, out of temper, frees Tom and gets him killed, and then tries, like, goes to Torrent and makes a plot to have Uther killed. And then, I mean, she changes her mind again <laughs> about that at the end. <laughs> but it's just, Morgana, please. <laughs> Morgana doesn't actually ask Gwen what she wants. Like, Merlin at least asks Gwen what she wants. But Morgana doesn't, and that's that's where the problem is uh, appears. Yeah, exactly. Morgana thinks that she knows better, but I don't really think she's thinking about Gwen in that moment because if she no, was thinking she's about Gwen in that moment, she would realize that ridding the kingdom of Uther and having Arthur be king is the last thing that's gonna bring Gwen prosperity at this point. Because you know, not only has she lost her father, but now the kingdom's gonna be thrown into. Uh, dysfunction because you know there's a new young inexperienced kid and it's just oh my god what, what we... <laughs> okay it's just yeah all of it is just a dumb plan but this is Morgana we're talking about and she doesn't always think before she acts <laughs> um yeah. the next scene I have written down is the one with a lot of following uh you always have to have a following scene in Merlin and uh <laughs> they make fun of that in season three which I really like um now, when Morgana's leaving the castle and Merlin's following her, we get a shot like the sky is in the background. And in my notes, I've got 
that's some nice day for night. Hot damn, the shot of the sky. That's a nice blue tint you've got there. And it's just the continuation of the day for night series. I just can't. I can't with this day for night. Then I, uh, Morgana is wearing gloves in this scene when she meets Torin. Um, which is very interesting to me. I'm sure Momo has a lot to say about that. <laughs> no, actually, actually, I don't have anything about this scene. You don't, you don't have a problem with the gloves, no? I honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have. I was just really not paying attention to that scene, to be honest, because I'm always bored by it. like, I, I never manage to actually pay attention to the scene because it just. It, bores me to tears yeah i was just trying to find you know like some interesting things about it and there is uh, a couple of things but first let's get the fun stuff out the way um the quote is it usual for uther to chain his friends to a dungeon wall uh my answer to that is whatever he's into we're not here to judge him for it <laughs> so also it wasn't a dungeon wall it was the floor please get your facts right Morgana. exactly <laughs> um and then Torrance. This is another moment where like things just come out of nowhere in Merlin. And I'm, he goes, bribery is rife in Camelot. And I'm like, since when? <laughs> when have we ever heard of this being a problem? <laughs> when have we ever heard of this subgroup of people in Camelot that are just waiting to be bribed to kill the king? <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Do you not think that's just so weird? <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's like, you know, the gold was not to line our pockets. This amount of gold would buy me into the king's chambers itself. I'm like, really? I would beg to differ <laughs> because you'd have to get past Merlin first. <laughs> but yeah, even without Merlin, I'm just like, that is so stupid. But if for bribery is, let's see that plot line. Let's see that episode where we actually see this uh, seedy Gotham style underbelly of Camelot rather than, you know, um, whatever Lamia was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I have the one where Merlin passes an apple instead of salt. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just it's just a small thing, but um, Merlin says, like, before he goes to the dragon, he excuses himself by saying, I should get to work. And then he walks towards the broom cupboard. And this entire thing has me flashing back to the Canon Fix episode, where I used the device of fucking in a broom cupboard to explain what counts as canon compliant fake. Maybe so... Arthur was in there and he that's what he meant going to work, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what my train of thought was here. So I just I just wanted to mention that, you know, Merlin Merlin going to work on Arthur in the broom cupboard is now canon. Wow, wow. <laughs> um so the one in which the dragon is done with Merlin, okay, this scene should have been lifted from this episode entirely. It does not need to be here. It makes no sense. And it is terrible. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. I need to calm down. So, uh, first of all, <laughs> first of all, yes. this is terrible advice from the dragon like and this is honestly saying something like let arthur's reign begin kill uther first of all i'm pretty sure the dragon is supposed to be aware of some distant future of merlin and arthur's or clearly not because he's a big fat liar who lies but you know he's like 
kill Uther. And I'm like, okay, you must know that Merlin and Arthur's time is not now. So why are you telling Merlin to do this? Unless you know he's going to do the exact opposite of what you tell him, in which case maybe it's kind of genius, but it's, it's dumb. And then the god awful thing of him just flying up into the air going, set us free from tyranny, Merlin. <laughs> set us all free. And, <laughs> um, uh, okay, dramatic flying TM. Yeah, check that box. But the reason why this scene is stupid is because this episode, like I said, we don't really need Merlin's big moral dilemma to be quite honest to make it work because the episode is really about Morgana and Gwen and Uther. But if you did want to have the moral dilemma in the episode, why did you need the dragon to fuel this? Wouldn't it have been more interesting? Because I think this, uh, the, not, uh, not the following scene, but the scene after it with Merlin and guys, Merlin, you know, says that why can't we let Arthur be king and wouldn't that have been more interesting for Merlin's character a bit more ruthless a little bit more interesting if he'd have come up with that idea on his own without being fed this uh whatever the overdramatic flying was meant to do why did we need this scene with the dragon is it because we hadn't seen him in a couple of episodes wow I missed him <laughs> Like, oh, I mean, yeah, shouldn't have been in the episode. Easily could have been lifted out and we could have had another scene with, you know, Gwen grieving for her dead father. (laughs) Yeah, it's the only the only note I have about this scene is Merlin shouting, where does it say my destiny includes murder? And I'm like, Merlin, please. Do you remember that you've killed several people at this point? So the scene after this, uh, I've called the one where Morgana deserves an Oscar because she is actually really good in this scene. Yes, she is. Um, I absolutely agree. Yeah, she's very clever. And I, I feel like going forward, we don't see this manipulative side of Morgana. She's very much there in season one. In season three, yes, but it's... I f- oh I I don't know because I I guess it's sort of like her evil moments are so over the top evil that we don't really consider her acting moments to be that great but you know um I wish that we'd have seen more of that side of her maybe from like season 4 and 5 because she's very good at this kind of thing you know playing on people's emotions it's it's really great in this scene um yeah i think she does really well bringing up her father and it's you know a bit of extra backstory for morgana we find out yeah. a bit more about what happened to again probably would have yeah made sense to come up a bit earlier yeah, i i i had that note where like she says something like you promised him her father you promised him reinforcements and then sent none which is an interesting bit of backstory thing that that was unlocked here i just i want to know more about the circumstance of galois's death like just yeah we needed more i think like flashback episodes in general i think there's a lot of lore to unpack here a lot of backstory in these characters and I think that, I mean, the only thing I can imagine, well, A, it's just not the format they were going for, but B, I guess because of the kind of things that are being discussed, they probably wouldn't have been able to do it on um, a family show because you've got, you know, a lot of mass murder and war and a lot of stuff happening that, you know, childbirth, <laughs> maybe they couldn't show this kind of stuff on um on on Merlin this early on. But I would have really been there for it, so... It's a shame. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah. The only no- other note I have of this scene is I approve of Uther's wardrobe in this scene. He's wearing that <laughs> amazing, like, ca- like, kind of cloak cape thing that wraps around the front. I approve very much. I like his wardrobe in season one. It's really great. <laughs> Everyone's wardrobe in season one is pretty good. Uh, let's oh, be honest. Oh, oh, oh. The next one is the one where Gaius actually gives good advice for it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Where I said that the scene with the dragon can fuck off, this scene can very much stay. <laughs> it's probably my favorite scene in the episode because it's just like this is what I have been saying for five seasons when Merlin, uh, you know, asks if he thinks Uther is a good king and then he interrupts him and says, everyone hates him. And Gaius, you know, kind of goes up to him and says, it's not Uther's job to be liked. And I'm like, thank yes. you. <laughs> This is so important. And, you know, my friend that I've been watching Merlin with, I kind of went to her, you know, he's right. And she goes, yeah, he's right. You know, and I and she actually likes Uther. I think, do you know what I think? And I think I've realized what it is. Merlin is a family show. Or it starts out as a family show. And a lot of it is aimed at younger audiences. And younger audiences are going to definitely side against Uther because he's the bad person who kills people. And, like, when you get older, I like to think that you are able, you have the tools to see the nuances in life and you understand things better. (laughs) Maybe not perfectly, but you understand that Uther has to be the way he is. He doesn't, like, he has to be this way. He doesn't have the luxury of being another way. So I think that's probably the reason why he works so well as an antagonist, but then also for older audiences, because that you know the younger ones you know can see him as a villain and the older ones can kind of see the nuances in his character but i just love that line i love that you know it's not uther's job to be liked and merlin is so naive in this scene um you know why not let arthur's time come now and i wonder you know would we say he ever really grows out of this you know because he says you know no one likes him. And I wonder if this is what he thinks a good king is. And that's why Arthur would make a good king because he's likable uh, or more likable. I mean, I like to think he kind of grows out of it a little bit, but I don't know if he does because he still has those like childish perceptions of what Arthur should and shouldn't do as king. You know, people shouldn't marry for convenience or, for example, you know, um, uh, uh, why can't peasants become knights? And he doesn't really ever grow out of that. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah, no, I it's, agree. That. A, yeah, Merlin, please, baby. <laughs> and, um, like, I just wrote, like, when Arthur says, uh, sorry, uh, when, when Gaia says, Arthur's not ready, though he's, you know, a great fighter, he, uh, he lacks experience, he lacks judgment. And I just wrote down in my notes, preach. Gaius is oh, preaching yeah. to the Lord right now. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree that. Season one author is so not ready to to be king. Like even season four author who then has to be king is not actually ready to be king, let's be honest. Oh, definitely like, not. Yeah. Um and so, again, like I said, if how much better the scene would have been if we hadn't had the scene with the dragon just beforehand and this has been stewing in Merlin's mind all along. And the you know, and Gaius knows Merlin so well and by this point they have a really sweet bond and you know, when he stands up and he says, you know, do you want to t- 
tell me what's going on and Merlin's like I can't this is something I have to figure out for myself and Gaius has this look on his face like he he knows something is up that Merlin's not telling him something but he can't help him and it's really breaking his heart that he can't do anything to help and it's just like oh Gaius he he was so good in this episode he was really good in this episode I actually I actually do like Gaius in this episode so exactly Uh that's that's your miracle of the week. <laughs> Momo, Momo like guy is in an episode. Yeah, I mean my my aim by the end of the the run of Merlison is to get everyone to love Uther. So <laughs> we'll see <laughs> how how I go. We'll see. Um, I've already converted a couple of people from what we've from what I've seen in the comments. So <laughs> I'm really really happy about this. Um, the one I have next is the one with even more lying. Is that what you've got too? Yes. Um, <laughs> so, well, Gerda walks down the stairs and walks towards the main staircase. And Uther pops out of behind the wall and goes, Morgana. And I'm just like, you did not see her walk down those stairs behind that pillar. How did you know she was there? <laughs> He's just been hiding there all day in the hopes. Like, imagine how many times someone walked past and he heard footsteps, went Morgana. And it was like a random servant. And they're like, what's his problem? <laughs> He just wanted to make a dramatic entrance. <laughs> he really did. I mean, I mean, knowing that these stairs... Oh no, they actually lead somewhere. They lead upstairs to where the offices are in the castle. But like, maybe no one else comes down these stairs. Or maybe he just... Maybe Morgana has a specific routine and he knows she always walks down those stairs at this time of day. Oh, I don't know. Um, The hideous studded cape is back Uther's uh yeah I was complimenting his wardrobe in the previous scene and the navy studded um whatever that is is back uh at least he's not wearing a matching one with Arthur this time (laughs) because I would have just given up completely um and I don't have any other notes about this scene again Morgana is just really great at acting and um it's uh it it's really a great ruse, you know, to to get him out and kill him ruthlessly. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The next scene that I have on my list is the one by the castle entrance where Morgana meets with Torin. Yes. So the only reason why I wrote this down was because I think this is the only scene in Merlin where it's filmed right by that entrance. Like, you know, the like by the actual entrance to the castle completely where you've got the long uh driveway that we walked up every day when we were in Pierfond. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone else uh any other scenes filmed there. And I was excited by that because I've never seen them film there and it always seemed like it was such a behind the scenes area, like only the cast and crew would go up there and you'd never see it, you know? Um <laughs> the only other reason why I mentioned this scene was it was purely for selfish reasons because uh when you have the uh the shot uh that's like over Torin's shoulder and you have uh Morgana I actually need to rewatch this scene just like to pause it just before the scene starts and the camera kind of moves into position but in the direction of like where we can see Morgana in the camera if you like walk slightly to Morgana's right is like the main road like an actual tarmac road where people will drive in and out and walk into the castle and then like just down like literally like what 
20 or 30 meters like down that road was the hotel where I was staying for when we went to the 10th anniversary meetup. So I was just like, oh, (laughs) like pain. (laughs) It's like it's almost like when you when you watch Merlin, it seems like Pierpont couldn't possibly be near civilization. It's like its own little world. And you're like, oh, no, there's like like I literally had a view of like of of the castle from my from my window. (laughs) It's like, oh, (laughs) it's like real. Then we have, or at least this is what I have next, the one with the moral dilemma. So Merlin and Gwen talking. Yes. I have questions about this. Um, yeah, go because, ahead. Because, like, not actual set questions, but, like, inverse questions. Because whose room is that? Is, it's Arthur. Is, is, that, is that Arthur's room? Are you sure? Almost entirely sure, because you've got the table right in front of the door, okay. which is where it is when they're eating the rat stew. Okay. And you always have the courtyard there, right? Because, like, you know, yeah. um, like in Excalibur, Merlin's like, look at the Black Knight. He doesn't yeah, eat. He doesn't okay. sleep. Is it is it the same angle of the of the courtyard? Um. So based on some uh, off-air discussions that myself and Momo have had, we've come to the conclusion that we are supposed to believe that this is Arthur's room that Merlin is standing in. But if anyone with more information than us can tell us why the glass in the windows is different, then we would be very happy to hear your feedback. So please let us know. (laughs) Um, Do you have anything else to say about this scene, Momo? Actually, I do. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, because Merlin then talks to Gwen and actually asks her what she would want, which is a thing that Morgana failed to do. And uh, Gwen tells him that no, she wouldn't want Uther dead because that would make her as bad as him, blah, blah, blah. And then Merlin has this epiphany of like, oh my god, you're right. We have to be better people than that. And then dashes off. And Gwen is like, is something wrong? And Merlin's like, no! <laughs> as he's already running off. And I'm like, Marlon, that was incredibly convincing. <laughs> Gwen is just used to it at this point. Oh, yeah, I'm sure she, she doesn't is. care. I'm sure she is. Oh god. Um my so I have a bit a, a bit of meta for this scene. Uh the first thing is uh if Uther died, I feel nothing. He means nothing to me. I feel like this is the most ruthless we've seen Gwen so far. Which is really interesting. Like, you don't expect something so heartless to come from her. Like, or, or sounding heartless, you know? Um, it's just so weird, you know? Like, to hear her talk so openly. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to me that she kind of has that anger in her. Which, yeah, I mean, we don't really see it, to be honest with you. Like, even... I mean, we've said she's so optimistic and she doesn't really get like this. But it's nice to see that she's human. <laughs> um and it's very rare that we see Gwen give Merlin advice about stuff because it's usually Gaius that he talks to in these moments. And when do we ever really get to see him talk to other characters when he needs advice about stuff? Um, yeah, I think it's really nice that he goes to her for a check. Well, I mean, he doesn't go to her. She just, you know, she wanders in. <laughs> she, yeah, she wanders in. Um, and you know, I, you know, I just love Merwin so much, and I just wish they could have been a thing for a while, like that he would have requited <laughs> her feelings. Because there's this like oh. moment where she's like, 
oh, Morgana's been amazing the past few days. And he just turns it around and he's just like, I think you've been amazing. And I'm just like, oh, it's it's just so sweet. Like all of it is so sweet. And the fact that he's like thinking of her, even when he's got so much on his mind, <laughs> it's just lovely. Um, but my biggest thing is this. Okay. So I'm a, at some point someone messed up is the crux of what I'm about to say. <laughs> so <laughs> hashtag <laughs> what Merlin is really do. Like not yeah. hashtag, but like this is just what Merlin writers basically had on their portfolio. At some point someone messed up. Yeah. And I do have an explanation for this hiccup in the writing that, you know, just to explain my anger away. But here we go. Beginning of the end. Merlin wants to kill someone for selfish reasons, a.k.a. to protect Arthur, then doesn't because of ethics. Season one, episode 12. Merlin has the chance to kill someone for selfish reasons, a.k.a. bring about Arthur's reign so magic can thrive and then doesn't because of ethics. Then we have season two, episode 12, in which Merlin has the chance to kill someone for selfish reasons, a.k.a not to die and Arthur to die and goes through with it. Obviously more goes saves Morgana, but you know, and then we have season three, episode five, where Merlin has the chance to kill someone for selfish reasons to prevent Arthur's doom by Morgana becoming even more evil and killing Uther and whatever else. And then doesn't because not of ethics, but because of what he sees happening around him. So Uther's reaction, Gwen's reaction, Arthur's reaction. Mostly I would say Gwen and Arthur, the people that he actually loves and how it would affect them. And I think that's genuinely a good progression for his character. We've talked about this before. He became uh, less interested in a general good and more interested in what was good for him, uh, which I think is definitely true and is shown in the Crystal Cave. But then Fires of Edith Sholas is a big outlier for this because at first i was like why the hell would merlin care about uther dying you know that makes no sense and then i'm kind of like actually no he has been shown to change his mind in beginning of the end he's changed his mind before this is actually very in character for him to change his mind why then did he go through with killing morgana and that because it feels in character for me but then when i look at it with all these other instances i'm like damn it's actually the outlier. <laughs> How did that happen? Mm. He didn't chicken out. And I guess you could argue that in the, you know, that was literally like you either do like it wasn't necessarily he was killing her because she was evil. He was killing her out of necessity because she like the only way to stop the sleeping curse was to kill her. Like there was it wasn't about her. It was about the curse. And if he hadn't have done it, they would have all been killed within minutes like there was no other alternative these other situations were a bit different but this is yeah i mean i honestly still pride the writers for going there and it's one of my favorite decisions the show has ever made but i'm still like wow why then didn't he kill her in crystal cave why didn't he kill uther in this one why didn't he kill more like why why is that so special yeah um and then i love how merlin is so shocked by gwen's no like, he thinks that she's going to say yes. And I think that's, again, just, I guess it tells us something about what he thinks about her as a person. I don't know. But, yeah, it's really interesting. Or that he was so hoping that she'd say yes, that, you know, she'd want him killed. Um, so that was all I had for that scene. 
Uh, and then the next one I have is the one with the grave visit. And I imagine yours is the same. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, it is. Um, right. How the hell did Merlin catch up to them so quickly on foot Magic. is the first thing I want Magic. to know. Magic. <laughs> maybe, he flew on, maybe he flew on the she staff. <laughs> oh, my God. I would have paid good money to see that. <laughs> so would the BBC. And you would have had to have money to make that happen. I would not want to see 2008 green screen Merlin <laughs> flying across Camelot. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, I love how Uther, before he walks up to the grave properly, he sticks his sword in the ground, like, to leave his weapons, like, you know, out of respect. Yes. Also, I have something to say about this, because, like, I know that this is, I'm sure, common practice, and we've seen this done several times over the course of the show. I'm just like, people, please, this is how you dull your blade the quickest, by just sticking it in the ground over and over just please this is basic blade care maintenance don't do this it hurts the sword but it looks so cool (laughs) oh for fuck's sake (laughs) i mean i have another thing later on in this scene to talk about that is impractical but looks cool (laughs) um so I love how we get to talk about the early years of Uther and Morgana's relationship. And we get a really nice insight into what she was like as a kid, you know, like that she fought him from the beginning. And that must have been really interesting because, of course, he had a a teenage, well, a a 10 year old son at the time. And then, you know, Morgana came along and he, you know, just had a teenage daughter without even thinking he was going to have one, you know. And it's just really, really interesting how he must have dealt with that. And again, I just want that prequel. <laughs> I really want that prequel. Um, can you imagine a little angry Morgana and Uther just humoring her? And uh, yeah, it's just so sweet. Um, so I'm pretty sure that this scene was heavily ADR'd. And the more I watch it, the more I notice it. And it's just like... <sighs> It's just that's that look sometimes you can't avoid it like I you know you can see the wind in that scene you can see it's blowing their hoods and they're pretty heavy duty you know velvet heavy hoods so yeah it was probably completely not realistic that they were going to be able to actually record with shotgun mics but I I just can't stand stuff that's ADR <laughs> I really can't but oh well that's what you have to do sometimes okay So this is what I was talking about earlier on about characters knowing things. Here we go. And I know Mimo has something to say about this too, but I'm just going to quickly say my bit first. So you are the daughter I never had. Oh my God. It's the worst line. I'd like to refer you to uh, a a YouTube video I watched earlier today on the day that we're filming this, which uh, was a Cinema Sins video for Thor Ragnarok. And it seems like it was destiny that I saw this today because when Odin is talking about Hela to Thor, this is what the Cinema Sins guy had to say. How does Odin have a daughter he's kept secret all this time? And while he admitted he screwed up by not telling Thor about her, this sounds more like the type of thing where the character of Odin didn't know about her either until the script for this movie was written. (laughs) And that is basically what I've been saying (laughs) since we started this podcast. You cannot watch season one and two with the implication, like, 
basically in hindsight that Uther and Morgana are biologically related. You have to treat season three as its own thing. Otherwise, you will do what I'm doing, which is going crazy every day. Like, it's just not going to end well for you. <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. Yes. This is... uh. This is just, I really, really, only my notes, I have the quote to all the daughter I never had. And I'm just like, <sighs> I know that's true for Uther in season one, because no one, like, not even you knew that you were going to have a daughter, because the writers didn't know it yet. But, oh my god, this line just does not hold up across all seasons. No. Um... Then when Torin attacks and Uther tackles him to the ground, they almost get completely encased in Uther's red cape, uh, which is the impractical item I was talking about earlier. And all I have to say to that is no capes. <laughs> yeah. That is why Edna Mode was so insistent on no capes. This is what's going to get you killed, Uther. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, so again, the villains just can't help themselves sometimes. Torin saying, die, Uther Pendrag. <laughs> if you spend more time trying to kill him and less time telling him you were going to kill him, you might have been able to do it before Morgana stabbed you in the back. Truly. Is all I'm saying. Oh my god. I have, yeah. That is also, this is the first time Morgana killed someone. Yeah. This is um and then her just and then you have her face. Like I think Katie in this scene is actually really good. Um she she stabs him from behind, which first of all takes a lot of strength by the way. Uh so kudos to Morgana to working out in her free time with those uh with those bell weights or whatever she uses, I don't know. Um doing pull-ups or something. Um and then she she stands there and looks completely frozen in shock. Like you see it on her face, she's completely shocked, and she drops the dagger. And you j also, where did she get the dagger from? Um, but she just—I mean, presumably she had plans to kill Uther herself if it came to that. But you know, anyway, um, she just—you uh, can't believe in that moment that she is completely shocked. But you're not entirely sure what she's shocked by. She's shocked by having killed someone or is she shocked by having stopped the thing that she set out to do that day <laughs> i would have said the second but i can completely see an argument for yeah her being shocked that she's killed someone for the first time and i imagine uther probably knows that it's the first time she's killed and that's actually makes the hug that's coming up even more yeah. poignant for me and it's actually one of my favorite shots in merlin yeah. is that slow motion hug with the wind and yeah. like the, him enveloping her in the like like in his red cape and it, there's one so they have the white and then they have this one mid close-up which ruins the whole thing it goes merlin wide shot uh close-up merlin wide shot or something like that and why they felt the need to cut to a close-up because you can't actually see their faces it's not that close and it's ugly and the framing's off and i'm like oh you ruined it you ruined it yeah. <laughs> um but it's a beautiful shot and it's just i always used it for all my uther morgana vids yeah. i love it i just want to say for this scene as well that i i just i love uther in this scene 
Like, whether he's being truthful about regretting Tom's death or not, he's definitely regretting having caused Morgana pain. Like, he he apologized for that earlier in the castle already, but, like, you can you can tell that with everything he's saying, he means it when he says that she is important to him and that he, you know, considers her something of a daughter because, at this point, he didn't know yet that she's his daughter. And, uh, like, I absolutely, I absolutely believe him in this scene. Like, I'm not sure he actually regrets Tom's death, but he regrets what Tom's death has done to Morgana. And he also admits that his temper gets... And like, even even if he doesn't actually mean that he regrets Tom's death, he apologizes for it anyway because he's determined to make up with Morgana and to, to smooth over things and to get their relationship back to what it was. So that that is a big step for, for Uther, who is a very proud man, who does, like we said in the beginning who, once he has an opinion, isn't easily moved from it. But yet he is there, kneeling on the ground, telling Morgana how important she is to him, and saying sorry for something he did that Morgana, that upset Morgana. He even admits that his temper is, is, you know, the thing that gets in the way and that makes him do or act irrationally on occasion, like throwing her in the dungeon. Like... That is a lot of things to hear from Uther Pendragon. I know. It's why why Morgana probably changed her mind. Like, she realized this as well. She was like, holy shit, we're having a genuine moment here. He's actually making a... Like, he's actually saying sorry. He actually means what he's saying, at least to to a certain degree, you know. And, And that's why Morgana changes her mind and doesn't want him killed in the end. Exactly. Like, and that's and that's why I need this episode to be before beginning of the end because, like you said, Rose, the beginning of the end ends with Morgana still being at odds with Uther. Yeah, exactly. And it's just like, yeah. And 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 to kill the king doesn't. To kill the king ends with them completely reconciled. It's oh, it's oh. just amazing. <laughs> I love it though. <laughs> It makes me yes, so happy. Yes, no, it's a great scene. It's probably, it's honestly, it's the best scene of the entire episode. It's amazing. It's my, it's, yeah. Um, And then the only thing I have left is the one where Gaius continues to know TM. <laughs> like, he just, I don't, yeah. Well, also, okay, I didn't put this in my notes, but how did he hear about the attack so quickly? Who told him? Did Uther run to him and go, hey, sweetie, guess what happened to me today? Because he knows all the... Listen, the the guy is just like a walking encyclopedia. He knows how many people there were. He knows who knocked them out. He knows where they... Whoa! That's because Gaius is the medieval internet. (laughs) And the internet knows everything. Oh, my God. Um... Maybe Uther Uther tweeted about it on his way home. Well, we know Gaius is his number one fan, so he was totally turned on the <laughs> notification bell for that video. Uther, Uther, Uther totally took a selfie of himself, and Morgana <laughs> grinning is just like, guess you saved my life today. It was this awesome girl. Water goals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nothing like a bit of near-death experience to bring you closer to your girl. <laughs> 
I want. I need that. I need that Twitter account. Oh, that Uther Dragon Twitter account. I need there to be now a fic in which everything is the same, but social media exists. <laughs> in, Mer- in, in the Middle Ages. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And so every time Merlin and guys are shouting about using magic, they're actually tweeting about it. But Arthur. <laughs> But Arthur is so bad with technology, no, he no, never no. finds Arthur, out. Arthur, because it's Camelot, Arthur actually has the word magic muted on Twitter. <laughs> and that's why he never sees any of these tweets. And Uther has the word magic unmuted because he's constantly looking for magic people. But because he doesn't follow Merlin, because he doesn't know who Merlin is, he doesn't <laughs> see any of the tweets. Exactly. <laughs> it's just the perfect AU. <laughs> Someone please write this. <laughs> which oh, is which explains why everyone knows about Merlin and Arthur because they're probably constantly at replying each other <laughs> instead of just DMing. No, because Arthur is bad at technology. And he just thinks keeps... no one can see them. <laughs> yes, Arthur just keeps replying to Merlin. Most like Arthur, please use DMs. <laughs> oh my god! Slide into my DMs, Arthur. Exactly. Slide right in. Or like whenever Merlin's, you know, feeling a bit emo, you know, he just kind of posts a picture of himself just sitting in a darkened room being like, oh, you know, it's always great to feel hashtag like a shadow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, speaking of hashtags, I honestly have the best thing to end on in a way, because my favorite, well, one of my favorite lines of this episode is when uh, guys ask if Merlin had anything to do with it. And he goes, oh, you know, just background stuff. <laughs> Possibly, I can't believe they actually used that in Merlin, like that line, <laughs> because it's basically the show. <laughs> I mean, the best part is that in this instance, Merlin was literally in the background. It didn't do anything. Well, he killed, or, or like he knocked out all the people that could have stopped Morgana from killing Torin. I guess that was his I, contribution. I would assume that he actually killed them, which brings me back to. Where are my destiny? Does it say I have to commit murder? <laughs> Just like Merlin, please. What do you think this she staff does to people? <laughs> it zaps them and then they're dead. <laughs> It's now just like, okay, every time that Merlin now does magic, like when he's out and about with Arthur, he'll he'll take a selfie of himself being like, huh, nothing like doing a bit of background stuff on your day off or something, and Arthur will see the tweet and he'll be like, what are you talking about, Merlin? Is this extra polishing you've been doing? <laughs> he doesn't know what's going on. And Gaius reads the tweets and he's like, Merlin. <laughs> and Merlin's like, it's code. No one will know what background stuff means. This episode took a very strange turn very quickly. (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) Because you realize, listeners, that we're now going to be making social media jokes for the rest of the longevity of (laughs) Merlis. Personally, I am looking forward to it. (laughs) So, speaking of looking forward... Yes. In our next episode, we will be talking about Colin Morgan... And we will have a guest for this. And in until then, because today is the 23rd of December, at least when you are listening to this, it will be the 23rd of December or later. Let me just say, happy holidays, guys. Enjoy the holiday season and enjoy the next couple of days. And we'll see you with Colin Morgan in January. Yeah. <laughs> and just... 
to quickly uh, give credit where credit is due. Our theme music was composed for Melissa by Sidesteppings. And the music used for our new section is from Manzardia on freesound.org. Lovely. Thank you so much then, guys. And until we are ready for you to tune back in with us, I have been Miss Snowfox. And I've been Momotastic. Bye. Bye.